0: Welcome back to The Oyster in the Pearl. I am Jennifer Fredette. I am the Program Director at Christiana. And today we have a two-parter on promotion and tenure that I hope will really serve to demystify the process. Today is a joint partnership between CORD, the Faculty Development Subcommittee of the Educational Committee, and the group has spent all year really researching and thinking about topics that they felt like would be most important to the CORD community, and then they took a deep dive into the podcasting world to record a bunch of episodes that I hope you all will find really enjoyable and helpful. I'm really grateful for all their hard work. It has not been easy amidst everything else going on, uh, but they've really produced some really stellar content content for everybody. Today is mostly about uh, focusing on the basics of promotion and tenure. Like what is it? Who's on the committees? What do you need and how do you maintain your CV? And even if you are a seasoned professional and have been up for PNT many times already, I still think you're gonna find something valuable in it because they have some great guest hosts. So uh, without further ado, we'll go ahead and get started.
1: Are you ready to take the next step in your career in academic emergency medicine? The promotion and tenure process can seem daunting, whether you've just graduated residency or you've been an academic faculty member for a few years now. Maybe you're even a senior resident and you know that academic EM is right for you, but you're unsure of how to navigate the academic waters. On our podcast, brought to you by the CORD Education Committee, we plan to demystify the promotion and tenure process.
2: I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Yee, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine and the Emergency Medicine Simulation Director at The Ohio State University. Joining us from the Court Education Committee is Dr. Rob Cooney,
1: the Director of Faculty Development at Geisiger. Good morning, Dr. Cooney. Good morning. And I'll be co-hosting. I'm Kim Baumbach, a third-year Chief Resident, also at The Ohio State University.
2: Today we'll be speaking with some of the true giants in academic emergency medicine. We are joined by Dr. Diane Gorgas, Professor of Emergency Medicine, Vice Chair of Academic Affairs, and the Executive Director of the Office of Global Health at The Ohio State University. Hello, Dr. Gorgas, thanks for being with us.
3: Good morning, happy to be here. We're also joined
1: by Dr. Douglas Char, Professor of Emergency Medicine, Director of Faculty Development, and the Medical Director of the WashU Clinical Peer Support Program at Washington University. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Char.
4: Great to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Last but
2: not least, we have Dr. Larissa Velez, Professor of Emergency Medicine, Vice Chair of Education, and Associate Dean for Graduate Medical Education at UT Southwestern. Welcome, Dr.
5: Velez. Good morning. Happy to be here.
1: All right. So let's jump right in. Kim? Dr. Char, starting with the basics, what is PT?
4: So, most universities have a PT, or Promotions and Tenure Committee. This is a formal body that reviews an individual's accomplishments and contributions, and then they determine if they have met the university's criteria for appointment, either an academic rank or promotion. Um, and it's important to note that while your department submits your portfolio consideration, it's the PT committee who assesses the merits. The committee is usually composed of individuals outside of your department, and at some institutions it's a standing committee. At others, it's ad hoc group. And the promotion dossier usually includes a curriculum vitae, copies of important peer-reviewed documents, a number of letters from knowledgeable experts, both internal and external to one's institution, who have have reviewed the external um, material. And for clinician tracks, it often the portfolio often includes a clinical educator's teaching file as well.
1: Thank you so much. And Dr. Velez, can you tell us what are the typical tracks that are offered?
5: Sure. Um, Different institutions obviously have variations of this, but in general, uh, most of the promotion and tenure uh, processes for Uh, different clinical departments have some sort of track that focuses uh, on the clinician educator, the person who is doing mostly uh, clinical work in the hospital, but also is involved in some degree of education, either at the undergraduate level or the graduate medical education level, uh, or even at the faculty development level. They also have some tracks that are more focused on those clinicians that are also doing some sort of scholarly activity or research. And uh, in some places. These are called clinical scholars. They obviously have a little bit of a heavier weight on research and scholarship, uh, but they also have the basic concept that you need to be a clinician and you need to be doing a little bit of education. And then there's where the majority of the people think about, um, the faculty who are doing mostly research, uh, and those are tend to be the scholars. Um, these have a very, very heavy weight on research and doing NIH grants and getting external funding to the university, uh, and those are the ones who tend to be tenured. Now, tenure is a process that we will discuss, but um, it, it's generally a process by which a university allows you to stay there uh, and notices the value that you bring to the university, it has a bigger barrier on, uh, on keeping you from leaving the university. Uh, so tenure is a different process that, that is assessed by the promotion and tenure uh, process, and they typically have reviews that are more frequent than the reviews that the rest of the faculty get. You can get tenure on other, on other tracks of the promotion and tenure process, but in general, tenure is more heavily weighted towards the faculty who are doing research or scholarship.
1: Ah, I see. Okay. So it's kind of a spectrum from clinical educator as primarily clinical with some education responsibilities to primarily research with the tenure track and less of a clinical emphasis.
5: Absolutely. That's correct. All
1: right. Thank you for the review of those different tracks. So Dr. Char, could you
2: explain what may lead someone to pursue tenure over a clinical track? Are there additional benefits that they may see?
4: Sure. So tenure is almost mythical in many people's minds. And it's a category of academic appointment that besto- that's generally bestowed at the level of the associate professor. So that's important to note. That's sort of the, the level that it starts coming into effect at. In general, faculty are generally reappointed every one or two years. A tenured post is an indefinite academic appointment that can be only terminated for cause and under extraordinary circumstances. So it's sort of like being appointed this to the Supreme Court for life. It signifies that one has made a meaningful contribution in their field of study and is recognized as a true expert. Because of this, the idea is that tenure encourages individuals to be creative, to work to answer important scholarly questions without the fear of having to prove themselves worthy of their faculty position every few years. And this, again, as mentioned, is primarily the focus of research based faculty. The granting of tenure signifies that you've made it. From a university's perspective, the institution has identified a productive scholar who they hope will give decades of service to them. And the institution is essentially committing one to two million dollars in salary and benefits. Over the faculty member's lifetime. So, to get tenure really means that you have locked yourself in and that the university is committed to supporting you for the entirety of your career. Many traditional non medical departments can only really afford to support a handful of tenured physicians at any time. So, the positions are very competitive.
2: So, Dr. Gorgas, should the PNT process mm-hmm. still be on my radar if I'm adjunct faculty?
3: Um, A disclaimer here, so I think the three of us are probably a little bit biased in answering this question, being lifelong academicians, but I would say yes, and for a couple of different reasons. First of all, it's really common to move between pathways, not uncommon at all to go from adjunct to an assistant professor position, and then up to associate from there. Also, it's important to know that many of the best practices for success and promotion are also best practices for a strong career. So even if you're on an adjunct pathway, and these are typically the non-funded pathways, you should probably be aware of some of the pathways that are available to you and the PT guidelines and criteria at your institution. Getting into the weeds a little bit of what Dr. Velez was discussing earlier, every academic department has an uh, appointments, promotion, and tenure document. This document is generally around 50 to 100 pages long. Um, You don't have to cuddle up to it in bed and read it every night. But I really would suggest that you focus on the one to two pages that are applicable to your clinical track or tenure track and that are applicable to your next stage of promotion. So if you're an assistant, read those one or two pages that are part of the clinical scholar, clinical excellence, or clinical educator part. It's important to take away from those at least four metrics that your department uses. How does your department view your success and accomplishments as an individual versus what you bring to the department or the institution's reputation? How does your department or the APT document view the focus of your productivity? Is it okay if you have a smattering of uh, work product or academic product in many different areas or on many different topics, or really does the focus of it need to be laser pinpoint? If you're on an educator pathway, does it matter if you focus on pedagogy or the The scholarship of education, if you're on a clinical excellence pathway, does it matter if you're creating policy or developing systems, or can you be a content expert? Can you be promoted just on your work within toxicology or sports medicine or EMS? The the fourth and last is also, how does your institution view non-HubMed ID peer-reviewed publications? Um, you would not be the first faculty member to be caught in a difficult position having really contributed the bulk of your academic productivity to, let's say, a social media or podcasts, only to find out that your institution didn't view this at all, didn't view this as a valued contribution. So, really, you need to know what qualifies as above and beyond being a crackerjack. Emergency physician that works clinical shifts. That is going to be the best guidepost for you, not only as you're starting your career and as an assistant, but even if you're on an adjunct pathway so that you can move into the academic system.
2: So, I really appreciate the mention of different focuses and knowing your own institution because I have gotten different advice myself. I've heard that some programs really want you to find your one passion, uh, one true field of knowledge and go after that with pinpoint focus while other programs have said we want to see productivity and you may demonstrate this in multiple different fields or subjects.
3: Well, that's a great point and um, Dr. Yee, there is is an axiom amongst uh, promotion and tenure and academic institutions where if you've seen one process you've seen one process. So that's where it's really important, even though there are some general guidelines out there, it's important to know what your institution, your College of Medicine, your department, what they particularly value, and how they put those in a structure of valuation.
1: Dr. Gorgas, when you mention what your department values, is this dossier updated for example, you mentioned podcasting or social media. Is that something that's negotiable after the fact if you can prove that it's been a significant contribution or is this updated at certain intervals to take this kind of kind of moving target of
3: new modalities into account? That's a great question, Dr. Pomback. Truly great appointments, uh, promotion and tenure documents are reviewed and revised on a cyclic basis, and that includes the mother document that sits at the College of Medicine level and the department-specific documents. However, the form of scholarship is changing kind of at the speed of light. So some of what's valued by the p committee is a little bit of pirate's code. You know, it's not something that's really um, codified in a document. For that, it's really important that you not only get copies of CVs that have been successful at their bids for promotion recently, but you talk to individuals who have recently been promoted to understand what the PNC committee wants or values in that space.
1: Good to know. Okay, I'll still put this podcast on my CV then.
3: Good idea.
5: This is one of the areas that really fascinates me, having been in a non-academic institution that was affiliated with not uh, one, but two or three different medical schools at one point. And each one, as you kind of alluded to, had its own process for promotion and tenure. And we all had the titles of adjunct faculty, but could go for promotion within any of them had we desired. But then affiliated. changed and suddenly we didn't have that uh, process any longer. What do you recommend collecting and keeping up to date for these non-academic physicians who may in the future want to go for promotion so that they're ready should the opportunity arise? Yeah, I, I will say that everything, every, everything that you do that can be viewed as potential kind of scholarship of be of interest, uh, any lectures, any educational activities that you do, uh, regardless of whether they're there for official learners, or you're doing them as part of your, uh, your job as a medical director, uh, any committee participation. So the the same concept that, that uh, your CV should be more of a reflection of your entire professional life than a true kind of CV that has just publications and and presentations. Uh, so all of that is important or will become important, might become important. So you want to keep it all uh, somewhere uh, accessible.
4: I would add that it's one of the hardest things to do is for people to go backward when they've decided, you know, a year later that, oh, I want to go for promotion and they have to sort of dig through their trove of data to find things they've done. And so it's really helpful. And I stress to all our junior faculty and residents that they create almost a desktop folder so that whenever they've given a talk, whenever they've worked with the medical students, whenever they've helped out with a uh content area of some sort that they can sort of drop a note or even if they did the lecture drop that into this file so that it's dated and it's there and it's all in one place some of us are more organized than others but if you if you don't keep track of the data it's really hard and you end up losing things that you know you did but you can't put your finger on later on when you're trying to actually show that you've done the work and that's a waste
3: so my my um relatively lazy way of doing this is that the end of every month, the last day of every month, I download my calendar for that month so that I had a hard copy of all the meetings, including all the clinical practice guideline meetings and the national meetings. You know, it's easy to find your publications, but it's, it's more difficult to find that lecture that you gave to Undergraduate medical students, or that community-sponsored initiative that you took part in, and that's where if you if you're diligent about keeping all those things on your calendar, and then just downloading your calendar periodically, you'll at least have that as a record to kind of jog your memory. I'd also say one other thing that um, that sometimes catches people when they're going up for promotion: keep in mind that all of All of promotion is done through a college of medicine or a university. And in doing so, they are going to want to know what you have contributed to the education of their students. So I think getting at least annual peer evaluations for teaching or for the clinical work that you do, that's something that will always be beneficial to you and can Crop up to folks as a requirement that they're unaware of when they move into an academic setting.
1: That's a great tip. So keep everything and think about the impact on medical students or students at the university in question.
0: So Jennifer, that was a really great conversation that we just had on kind of the basics of promotion and tenure. And we decided to split this up into two different talks because there was so much interesting stuff here. So I'm looking forward to seeing you again when we talk about mentorship and how to move between the tracks and how to actually get promoted.